Hey everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers, and welcome to the Firecracker Department. If you're new to the Firecracker Department, well, come on in. Come on in. The water's fine. On this podcast that I started three years ago, I get to talk to dynamic, interesting, inspiring women in the entertainment industry, and we talk about their victories, their challenges and lessons that they learned along the way, and it's always interesting. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that at the end of this podcast, you'll have a little bit more perspective on something or a little like spark of inspiration. And you'll say, oh, I had never thought of life like that. I guarantee you, because it happens to me all the time. I actually started this podcast because I wanted to speak to people that I don't get to speak to for more than 20 minutes at a party sometimes. So folks like Kat Barrel or Danny Kind or Melanie Scrifano or Zoe Palmer, so many people that I just have so much admiration for and we'd see each other events and be like oh we should get together for a coffee so i really just made up an excuse to get together for a coffee and record it and share it with you you're welcome and today's episode is absolutely no exception i get to speak with ingrid vettinger you'll know ingrid from such amazing indie films like animal project uh, porcupine lake and most recently at toronto hot dogs the world or nothing she is just an amazing creator I've always been in admiration of Ingrid's work because, A, I think she holds true to her vision. And I just I love that about her. But I also think she creates something from a spark of an interest. And then she just plows through. So that kind of inspired me today to think about how do I create? Or what do I do when I need to be creative? Because it seems like Ingrid has an idea. She gets the funding and she makes it happen. Doesn't wait around for people to hire her. She just makes her dreams come true. And so what do you do? What are you doing right now that's sort of creative or something that you can control? Because I always say, if you ever want to get busy, just start a company. You'll always have something to be creative around. So I'm posing the question to you. What do you do when you need to be creative? One of the things I do is um, a bunch of my friends in the building I live in, we started a thing called the Bob Ross Night. And it's only been a couple of times, but I love it. We put on Bob Ross's video. We get supplies. My friend CJ, who has all the supplies that you could ever dream of, uh, she brings the oil paints and the canvases, and we throw on a little Bob Ross, and we create a painting. And it's super satisfying, because not only am I sharing an experience with some really cool ladies, but at the end of it, I'm like, oh, I created that. And there's no judgment. That's the other thing about this art this Bob Ross night, the Rossies we're going to call ourselves, uh, is that there's no judgment. You know, you made my trees, they were lacking. I have to admit they were lacking. And then at the end, I threw in a building. It wasn't great. I know it wasn't great. I rushed it at the end. I was getting tired. I was like, let's wrap this Bob Ross night up. But you know what? (laughs) Nobody, Nobody said so. Nobody leaned over and said, oh, Naomi, that house is something else. As in, it's not a house. Uh, so supportive and so fun. The other thing I did uh, was start an afternoon called the Craft Aft, where people come over and we just do craft stuff together. And it gets me off my computer. I get to do something with my hands that's creative, and I absolutely love it. So what do you do? I always think it's important to keep the creative tank full so that when creative opportunities come your way, then you're charged and you're ready to go. So seeing plays or going to the art gallery or listening to music or going to see dance. I don't see enough dance. And when I do, I absolutely love it. Or seeing comedy. Uh, All those things fill your creative tank up and then you're charged and ready to go. One of the departments that we started is the Firecracker Ignite Department. And that was started by Jen Pogue, who, I mean, Jen Pogue is one of those people that can just do anything. She has a flower business, like a flower arrangement business that she started. She produces, she's an actor, and then she's one of the Firecracker Department team members, and she started this Ignite Department, where she has a list of books and movies and podcasts, so that if you're ever lacking and you need a little inspiration, go to Firecracker Ignite Department and uh, soak it in. So will you tweet at me and tell me what you're getting inspired by, and maybe it'll inspire somebody else hashtag firecracker ignite and uh let's see what's out there big shout out to my firecracker department team gals who i am constantly inspired by they are creating they're contributing they're part of this firecracker department community as we move forward and i couldn't do without them so thank you firecracker department team i love you 
Special shout out to um, the Firecracker Spark partner, Deanna Moffat, who is not only one of the funniest and kindest people, but she's a life coach. So she is one of the wisest people I know. Go follow her, Deanna Moffat. And uh, she always um, partners with me for the Spark Discussion, which we have the last Sunday of every month. Last Sunday, we talked about money and your relationship with money. And because we were talking to Jen Robertson, my buddy from Schitt's Creek, she posed the challenge to people of what do you want to save for? What is something that you can put in your month as a goal? And we're going to regroup at the end of April. So if you haven't joined that challenge, please do. And don't forget to put in your calendar the last Sunday of the month, Firecracker Spark, because that's when we have an online discussion with really great questions posed by Deanna. And usually there's a firecracker guest in there, too. I wanted to give a little bit of a firecracker shout out to some people that are leaving some beautiful and lovely reviews on our iTunes. Thank you so much to Sherbergirl71, another amazing and clearly authentic conversation. I love the depth and easy flow of this interview and the way Naomi gently susses out Kat's personality and details. Brava. That was for Kat's Barrel and honestly one of my favorite interviews for sure. Another fantastic review from Chevy Girl 24 Such an informative and funny podcast. Been catching up on all of the episodes and haven't found one I don't love. Thank you so much. Thanks to all the folks that I have reviewed. I'm going to read them out as we go through on these podcasts. But I so appreciate your feedback. It means the world to me. So without further ado, here she is, Ingrid Benninger. We sat down last summer during TIFF, and uh, it's something I've always wanted to do because I just think she's a dynamo. She's a creator. She's a mother. She's a director. She's a writer. She's an actress. She can do anything. Anything. She has dreadlocks. She's the coolest. Give me a shout and let me know what you think about this interview. Go on over to iTunes and leave a review, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. And now, here she is, Ingrid Benninger. I'm so happy to um, have this time with you because I'm such a fan of your work and these chats give me this, this great opportunity to just dig deeper into the minds of people that I admire so much. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like I was, you know, I, I've been reading and watching a bunch of your stuff and I feel like the phrase um, it's not a it's not a sprint it's a marathon mm. applies to your life so much because you've been doing this for yeah like more than half your life too long not too long but I do think of I do think of everything I do as a long term like one piece of a larger puzzle yeah so I love when people see the first and second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth film, and they can see how they weave together because I think they're all part of one bigger narrative. And I don't, I don't see it myself when I'm look, I'm working on the individual films, but as they accumulate, I can, I can start to see that it's a bigger narrative that's kind of unfolding. So many people say, wow, you make so many films. I mean, don't you want to take more time in between? And I just think it's not a rational Choice. I mean, Which I one? well, I resist making these films. I know each time I climb onto a film project, I know what's involved not only in the getting the money together and the paperwork and all the prep and 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 then the making, but also the getting it out in the world and the festivals yeah. and the marketing and the hustling, the social media. So it is a full on affair that I resist. I think, no, not again. Like God, this idea or this person or this place. And then it becomes something that I cannot shake. You know, I don't, you have to make it. Yeah. I don't have ideas in a drawer or I, or I, I never have, you know, something I'm developing while something's in production. I don't multi project like that. It's, one project at a time and then when one finishes I think great that might be it for a couple of years and then I just something grab grabs hold of me again and I just I try to shake it I actually try to shake it yeah but it's it's futile like I I can't and were you always like that like when you because you started acting like that was your introduction to this industry right acting? yeah yeah and so did you know when you started acting that eventually you'd want to Right, produce, direct? Or were you just like, no, I just want to be an actor? No, I think for the from the beginning, I, I first was a dancer. Really? Yeah, I loved dancing. I started when I was four, and then I think I had some solo in a show when I was at Roland and Romaine. There was like a big um, showcase at the Masonic Temple. Oh, yeah. And I had some solo, and I remember being backstage, and there was a girl older than me 
Jackie Holden, who said, um, you better get out there. This is when agents, you know, approach people they're interested in. And I didn't know what she was talking about. She was like, you better get out there. And she was putting on this like really sexy black eyeliner. And she (laughs) offered me some, I think I was, yeah, I was 10 or 11. And then, um, I went out there and an agent approached me asking if I wanted to be in commercials. And so I think by the, yeah, I immediately got an agent. Wow. And yeah, 10, 11 by 11, I was doing commercials. And then by 12, I had my first lead role in, um, a CBC episode of a show called for the record. Um, Something like that. I think I know it was CBC, and it was directed by Al Waxman. No way. Yeah, and my I, audition I did with, like a acting class with Al Waxman. Did you? He was a sweetheart. Well, my audition with Al Waxman was intense yeah. when I was that age because basically I was playing a thirteen-year-old girl who was in her second trimester of pregnancy, and it was an issue of oh, what was it called? It was called. It wasn't for the record. It's called the. It's. Like the va- the, cho- I think choice was in the title. I can't exactly remember. It's a really long time ago. But anyway, it was a contentious thing about a to abort. Or okay, not, I was too young. But it's a dangerous time to abort, and whether it would be safe. And it was that discussion. Wow, that's heavy. Were, yeah, for a kid. And for anyone. Yeah, and I had to put my legs in the stirrups, oh and there had to be a whole thing. God. Yes, and so in the audition. He wanted to see if I could cry. So I'm 12. Yeah. And he says to me, we're in a little office room, and he says to me, we're married. I'm your husband. What? Yeah. And we have a child, and our baby needs a blood transfusion. And I need you to convince me to do it because I don't think we should give the baby a blood transfusion. So I want you to say please to me. The only word you can say is please. I'm what like, I don't even know hard. what is going on. What's going on? on? You're 12. And Married? you're my husband what? with a kid with a baby that needs a transfusion. Could be a like, puppy that you lost. Come on. on. So I don't know if he just made this up on the spot, but he basically said, okay, and let's begin. So I said, please. And he said, no. Really fierce, because he can be yeah, intense, yeah, intense, you know, intense. his energy. Uh-huh. And I go, please, he goes, no! And that just probably distorted your audio, okay. but he screamed at me. So I immediately started bawling right. my eyes out. And he went, good, very good. Oh, but yeah. for a 12-year-old, yeah. that's so confusing. Yeah, it was confusing. So I left that audition, and then... The, but did you feel, like, victorious leaving it? I was like... I think, I mean, being an actor is, that's how it sort of started for me. And I, I understood there was craft and I understood it was a job, but I understood also that, um, you're in that room to sort of figure out what people want in that performative way and try and give it to them. So I understood, I mean, he framed it like. I clearly was a character because I'm not his wife in right. real time, in <laughs> right. real life. So it wasn't like I was pulling on any real experience. Right. So in that way, he was completely taking it into fantasy, even yeah. if it was a fantasy I didn't identify with at all. But the worst and weirdest thing was I got a call back and now it was Al Waxman and a, the producer. And I remember going in that room and he going and him saying, she's a really good crier. Okay, let's w- watch this. Watch this. Remember that game we played last time? Oh. And I had to do it again. Okay, dance monkey. Isn't that... That's really weird. Did you cry again? Yes, I did. And the weirdest thing was I got the job, and it was a great cast, and Vic Saren shot it, and it was Patricia Hamilton played the doctor, wow. and Samantha Longevin played my mom, and it was a great cast, and I remember shooting it, and I don't know, I mean, it might be distorting my mind, but I didn't understand because it was my first time doing a dramatic part that there were master shots and then there was coverage. Yeah. And it was a three-hander scene in this doctor's office. And so they did the master and then for some reason they turned around and did close-ups and two shots on the doc- the adults. Yeah. But I didn't understand that when the camera wasn't on me, I was... So I was crying each time. time. So by the time it turned around on me, 
And I remember Al turning to me and going like, okay, now this is your close up. So they didn't really look after you? No, not at all. And so it was the... 25th time I've oh been crying oh, and I remember so... just crying because I so desperately wanted it to be over yeah. and not only that but now I just remembered he told everyone not to talk to me yeah what because he didn't want pe- me to be comfortable or happy so I remember everyone was kind of weirdly distant and aloof and I didn't under I just thought everyone hated me or they were just mean or whatever. But was later I learned. On set? Yeah, but my mom wasn't a stage mom. She didn't know. No. Yeah. And again, nobody in my family was in the industry or yeah. business. I mean, this was the first thing I did. Yeah. And he was, I remember him behind the camera, like doing this sort of like boxing thing, like get in there, get in there. So no one could wow. talk to me and I had to cry you know, for about 27 times. Oh my God. And then I did it. But after I did it, I sort of felt I could do anything. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the positive swing. Yeah. But what do you think was the, um, like when you were 10 dancing, what do you think little Ingrid had that was like enticing for the agent? What quality? I think I always injected a little bit of my own spin on things. So I remember when I was a dancer, when I was a figure skater and, you know, we would do, we would have to do these, um, patch sessions or whatever. I loved freestyle. I loved when, if your arms had to be stretched out straight, I would flick my wrists a little bit, you know, or I would just snap my head a bit, or I would just do something with my shoulder. And people would generally, some people would criticize me for that. That's not true that's not accurate true to form um extract the personality strip that out right but then other judges or you know coaches or skaters or dancers would say i like that and the people that like that bit of extra personality you know gravitated towards me and those are the people that kind of helped me along yeah and was there i mean you know we all talk about how somewhere along the lines we stop um risking as a kid like you just want to be normal you want to be like everybody else whereas you like the flick of your wrist made you stand up did you ever see that it was like a difference in I don't know pursuit of identity yeah I mean I remember I guess maybe I was maybe eight and I remember there being a showcase and I was in the young dance company and they were all gathering for a picture and my, I was sitting on the side and my dad, and he rarely, I just, I remember this so distinctly because this is not true to his character. He never pushed me into doing anything, but he said, you should get in there. And I thought, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. Right. I just didn't want, and I didn't, and he said, you should get in there. And now as an adult, I'd probably go, yeah, sure. Why not? But at that point, even then I just went, nah, I don't want to. Right. And I didn't. Where do you think you got that from? I think my parents are very strong individuals. I think that they've very much carved out their life here in Canada. We're from former Czechoslovakia. I was born in Bratislava. How old were you when you left? Two. Okay. And uh, And they're both uh, Slovakian? Yeah, both Slovak. And had to kind of restart their life and learn learn the language and... You know, go from being architects and teachers to cleaning women and construction workers, that yeah. kind of thing, that yeah. story, that life. So I think they, in their rebuilding of themselves and in their sort of having their identity stripped and rebuilding it, there was a, a fearlessness or I would say a fearlessness around losing everything. I had the confidence that if I made a mistake or if something was a failure, I don't really believe in failures, but if, you know, I took a wrong turn, I would be okay. Like it, it would be okay. Yep. Somehow there would be something to gain and it would be worthwhile in the end. So I never really feared failing. And I think my parents have been real examples in trusting their guts and following their instincts. And so I've just grown up with that. Right. Ultimately, I mean, I'm an only child and I'm very close with my parents. So I knew if all else dropped away, 
we would have each other. And right. that's an incredible base of strength yeah. that I, I've always had. And I feel like I have now with my family, my partner and my kids. Yeah. That gives me a kind of confidence because, I mean, I love filmmaking so much. But if it was to all just completely collapse and fall away, it would be okay. It'd be okay. I know. It's yeah. funny how that starts. Like, I think... If you asked me that 10 years ago, I'd be like, oh, it would make me panic. And now I'm like, no, I'd be okay. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think that like My that's a humor. It would be a different thing. Right. Like if somebody said you'd lose your sense of humor, right. I'd be like, whoa, no. that was just part of, yeah. you know, but I think or your that, creativity, sorry, I keep interrupting you, but yeah. like if you lost your, your creativity would be a different, like that's an essence of who you are. But if your filmmaking ability. Yeah. I think that even. I mean, identity is, yes, so wrapped up in um, what we do and and how we do it. But I remember being in that 12 12 to uh, 14, um, 13, 14 time. And because maybe because I was an actor and I was so people's opinion of me did matter because it was the way of getting the job. Yeah. And everything I went up for, I, I desperately wanted. And it was it's personal. I mean, it's my body. It's my instincts. It's my emotion. It's my face. It's all very personal. Yeah. There was, for me, very little line between the characters I played and myself. Right. And I remember hitting up against that line when I was very, very young. I mean, doing more acting. I remember being on set, and because I'm an only child, being a part of a family meant so much. And people are playing my brothers and my sisters and my parents, and we're all eating around a big dinner table. And it was, you know, that's not my experience of of family. You know, my parents were always working. So I fell in love with that crew and cast bond. Of course. And then at the end, when the show wrapped, everyone would just disappear. And I thought... I didn't think it was real, but I thought it would last. Right. I thought that these characters we were playing would sort of manifest into something that would carry over into real life. And when there was a very clear break between acting and real life, that was a shocker for me. So I think for a little while, it really did matter what people thought of me. And then by grade 10, that changed. I don't know what or how, but I remember feeling like... I can't continue to live caring so much about what other people think. And I just, I just turned the switch and I went, I don't, it doesn't matter. I really need a little bit of how that happened because we all struggle with that. Do you not struggle with it now? Like you don't care as much now? No. Yeah. Can you remember that like grade 10, was there something that shifted in your approach to your art or? I think it was that I went from. Uh, high school Jarvis. No, I was at North Toronto. And then I went to a performing arts high school for grade Mm -hmm. 10 when I was 15. It was a very small school and I was in the dance stream. And I remember there being theater stream and music stream and dance stream and just feeling like these, these are my people. This is my tribe. This is my community. And I just decided that I was going to really exercise being myself. And if people liked me, great. And if I just ended up eating lunch by myself every single day, I would be completely okay with that. Yeah. That must be just um, an inner self-awareness, self-worth. I don't know. Just being self-assured, you know? Yeah. And then it's a practice. I think that sometimes people throw you... Like, your, your chemistry with people is different, right? Sometimes I feel very strong and grounded and secure with someone. And then someone else can completely throw me off yeah for and no I, reason no at no all. Like, it's just the makeup of our chemistry it's, it doesn't work yeah and I just stop thinking it's me that's a practice yeah yeah as you said that's a pra- that's something like if you get sideswiped with insecurity you kind of go why was that and then quickly do the math inside your head to make go make it let let it go yeah and go, it's not me it's no let it go it's our combination Right. It's our combination. It's a little bit of me and it's a little bit of this this person, but it's our combination because I'm I feel completely different when I'm with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? It's sort of like seeing okay, <laughs> I might be off kilter, but it's sort of like seeing a bad picture of yourself. Like right. Going, 
that's a bad photographer. It's not me. I'm I'm okay looking, and another photographer makes me look quite nice. But that guy is taking an angle that's from my double chin up. So right. Yeah. It's just the photographer. Exactly. Am I blaming? Am I blaming the tools? <laughs> no, it's, I think that's right. There's different. It's just. It, it's just. You know, it's not, we're trying our best in the world to navigate and juggle and be strong. And I feel like we have to, I mean, I'm just practicing being a little bit easier and, um, and appreciating the good things as opposed because there are good things and there are great interactions and TIFF can be sort of a head spin too, you know? Yeah. But there are so many beautiful things that happen in a day that when there's one or two tense things... They don't matter. Yeah. They really don't matter. And it's so weird how sometimes we let those tense things usurp and dominate and sort of right. eliminate all the, the beautiful stuff. positive stuff. Yeah. yeah, And that's the way I feel about reviews, too, is, you know, we learn a lot from our failures and we learn a lot from our struggles and all that stuff. But I feel like ultimately none of it matters. I mean, why do we do anything It's for us all to figure out? But it, for me, it's not about you know, that sort of metric of success or failure. It's just not that it's about different kinds of things for me. So all of those responses are interesting. I read them all, right? You do. Oh yeah. I read them all. I read the really negative ones or the lazy ones or the really positive (laughs) ones or the mixed ones. I read them all. Yeah. There's some lazy ones um, that feel like they're, you know, written in, in 35 seconds, but you read them all and they're out in the world and now they're online and mostly they're forever. And it's all kind of interesting information. I take it as interesting and some of it's very valuable. I mean, I've learned a lot about my work or how it translates from what people have written about it. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't shift you. No. Or did it used to? Did you ever read reviews that it flattened you? No, I mean, I think when I acted in The Limb Salesman, um, I had my dreads wrapped in white wool, and someone said I had the emotional depth of a sea sponge. And I think they meant it as a criticism, but I I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> right, you know? right. So you sort of, you can take the really mean ones that feel like they just really want to be mean and jabby and just go, just laugh. Yeah. I mean, it's all just I mean, I, funny. I commend you. I can't always laugh. It sometimes just like hits my heart because I invest so much. Right. And then it's also, I kind of think of it as building blocks. So that if I am spoken about poorly in a review, that it's not going to support the next project. Right. Which I don't mean, I'm not trying to shake your stronghold on your ego, but no. how do you do that? Like, how do you just kind of put that aside and go, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep creating. I think because I love the creating yeah. above everything else. I, mean, that's I, I love clear. the You're... doing of it. I love the people that gather to do it. I love the intensity. I love the challenge. Um, each one is different. And that for me is, you know, if I feel like, Everyone that I've collaborated with has a worthwhile experience. That's the golden ring, ultimately. And I will work hard yeah. to get the film out there. And I, you know, I, I really do want it to reach an audience. But that's the thing I protect. And that's the thing I can cultivate and, in a sense, control. That atmosphere is what I can bring to a project. Mm-hmm. The rest of it... I can position it and I can plant seeds and press kits and I can put out the photos and generate a poster and a trailer and teaser. But ultimately, the rest of it, it's like now it's out there and I sort of welcome all those responses. And I, I'm just happy people are looking at the stuff and that anyone takes a minute <laughs> yes. to write something positive or negative, even right. negative. I'm like, thanks for you, taking the time. <laughs> you know what? Time is sacred. It's very valuable. You're going to spend or like personally email me a really scathing negative, oh, yeah. you know, 1000 word opinion. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, you know, my partner says, don't, don't respond. But sometimes I do. I was like, you really took a lot of time. <laughs> with that you know (laughs) I mean really it's now we're like trolling and it's just some people you just read restaurant reviews too like you just look at a family that's just trying to start a business and my parents were in the restaurant business and you're like 
you, you not only have to criticize the past and the salad, but you have to be so harsh. You just want to close that, yeah, shut that business down. But it can make down. or break a business. It totally but can. So can our reviews. Yeah. And so I just think those people, <laughs> I just think they are wrapped up in that's their identity and that's what gives their life meaning. And if someone's actually going to listen, you can tell when something's written with a kind of that kind of agenda. Yeah. You know, it's just throwing every mean thing they've ever wanted to say against a wall and hoping something kind of sticks with that. I, I don't know. I mean, I would go to that restaurant. I'd be like, yeah. I would go. I'm the person that if I read something that bad, I would go. And in fact, if someone, you know, I want to, if you did a specific project and you got that kind of a negative review, I'd want to get, have my own opinion about it. Right. I would you seek see that out. Um, so now, where was I? So do, where do you get that? Like, is that, is that a practice for you? Is that a religious practice? No. Like, do you have any kind of Buddhism or Zenism or anything in them? No. Any isms? No, no, I don't. Humanism. I think just... Oh, I like that. Just, you know, trying to be in the world as openly as I can. I mean, making films... I would say I'm probably my most patient, tolerant, open, most compassionate self when I'm making films. And so it's... That pra- that person I am when I'm making films is kind of the person I want to be in my life more. Yeah, that's why I think I being on set and working with actors and telling stories and you know it challenges me to be a better person. Yeah, and so you said you you turned in like grade ten. Yeah, into this, and have you faltered this vision? No, grade ten. And then 11, 12, 13 was Jarvis. And I, yeah, I, I had a great time because I didn't care so much. Um, and then I went right, I was acting, I was acting. And then for the first, into my early 20s, I was acting. And then I met my partner and I had my first child. And my 20s into my early 30s was producing. And I fell into producing because there were filmmakers I loved, like Jeremy Padeswa and Peter Mettler mm-hmm. and Jane Sibbery took me under her wing to work with her on music videos. And they just mentored me and trained me into how to be a producer. And I was always very good at math and I, I'm very detail oriented. So I kind of took to it. I loved, I understood the language of production. Mm-hmm. I understood what everybody had to do. And I loved, again, the family aspect of it. Yeah. So bringing people together and facilitating projects that involve someone else's vision who I really respected and admired. That was, I loved Love doing that. I and know. I thought producing was going to be my life forever. I mean, I was very happy producing. Yeah. I, and I, you know, working with Charles Officer and, I loved it. I felt like all my acting skills translated into sort of people skills and I thought producing was it. And then it actually it was at the Toronto International Film Festival when Charlie and I, Charles Officer and I had made a short film called Erda Bone and Liz Zach and it was a short film where we both operated the camera and shot each other in different countries. It was kind of a love story. Um of two people that met and then had one night together and then separated. And he shot me when we were in uh, Vienna. And Mm -hmm. then I shot him when we were in a small town in Germany called Bonn, where Beethoven is buried. And uh, we shot each other and then we distilled the footage into a five minute piece. And it's online. That's great. And it, it was screening around a little bit, screened at the New York Film Festival in different places. And Liz Zach came up to me she was a canadian programmer at the time at tiff she said do you would you ever consider directing are you interested in directing and i went no no hadn't even crossed your brain had not even i i loved producing i was never i never thought directing no i had not even crossed my Hmm. brain and then what happened was Charles officer and i did nurse fighter boy which we co-wrote i produced he directed with your son uh, my son had a small role oh, in it, okay. but he wasn't in it very much at all. Um, love Triangle Story, beautiful script uh, from Charles's, you know, real life, very personal for him. 
And I remember we were applying to film festivals and he would get traveled and accommodated and accredited as a director and no one gave a shit about me coming along as a producer. Right. Just the festivals didn't have the budget for it or just were not interested. They don't see the importance of a producer showing up because the audience wants to meet the director. Sure. They don't recognize the creative aspect of the producer brings. No, not at all. They were like producer. They don't even know what producers producers are tied to money. They're boring. They're They're accountants. They're business affairs people. Nobody cares about them. They just have their calculator in their hand. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. They do not belong at film festivals. And yet they really, really do. But, um, I just thought, well, if he's going to be traveling with nurse fighter boy, I should direct a film that hopefully gets into some festivals so we can travel together because as a director, so it was completely a practical decision. So with my first feature that I co-directed with my good friend, Simon Reynolds, no one, I think it was just, no one expected it just came out of the blue entirely out of left field and both those films ended up at TIFF right at the same year in 2008 that was your first yeah got to TIFF yeah and that was I was 40 so I did like I did acting and then I did producing for over 10 years and so I came to directing very late because I had two grown kids and I just it wasn't part of my vision right and then I fell in love with it. Do you remember the t- the moment, like when you fell in love with directing? Yeah, it was that. Well, because I produce my own films, so mm-hmm. I've I've produced them and written them, directed them. So it's and sometimes I've acted in them, though not recently. It's it's all pistons. It's all yeah. pistons on fire, blazing yeah. red hot, and that's the thing that completely does it for me. So then. Just acting didn't do it. Right. You Although can't go I would act for money. If anyone wants to hire me right. for money, I will act. <laughs> acting didn't quite do it for me, and producing just didn't quite do it for me. But right. the combination of all the things is brilliant. Yeah. And it's just only recently that I've started thinking, you know, it would be great to work with a producer because I've never worked with a producing partner right. before. And so I'm kind of like, that would be a cool next stage. Yeah. Could you yeah. do that, though? I think so many people... sometimes it's hard to relinquish that mm, control or bre- like piston, right? Like yeah. Like if you are used to going uh, budget, uh, time, directing, like spinning all those plates, and then somebody comes in and takes over, it might be like... Mm. Yeah, and I know this is really weird, but sometimes when I think of, okay, what happens if I suddenly die, I think, who's going to do the reporting? I do think, like, who's going to file the revenue reports to Telefilm and who's going to get the reports from the distributors to all that filing? And I think... So that the film can get made, you mean? No, just at the end, because oh, when you, it's forevermore. No, oh. at the end, like, once you make the film and whatever, you're forever reporting to the people that gave you money. Oh. Forever, forever. Oh, okay. And as money comes in, you pay everybody a little bit. Right, right, right. If people have deferral deals or whatever, you're forever right. reporting on these films. And I just think... Gosh, if something happens to me, who's going to do That's that? That's so funny. And I think, oh, a producing partner. You need a co-producer. Yes. Right. Yes. So that if so you it's, die, you yes, can... <laughs> yes. That there's someone to take over the paperwork. Yeah. That's what do it's about. Do you think you could ever just act? Like, if somebody hired you? Yes. And do you have the ability to shut down, like, yes. the director part of you that goes, mm, That's what No, I mean, people sometimes think, oh, Ingrid, you know, could you direct episodic or just act in a show? And I think... Again, because for 10 years, well, what are we, 2018 now? So for since 2008, yeah, exactly 10 years, it's been wall to wall, do everything. Yeah. I mean, all the paperwork and location scouting and script supervising and ADing and scheduling and casting and crewing and, you know, paying for it a lot of the times, although Telephone Canada supported two of the films and I've got, you know, grants. And so it's just kind of each one has its own way of being in the world. But ultimately there's, you know, my crew has been on the majority of the films, two people, one Mm -hmm. camera person, one sound person. So we're all doing 50 million jobs. The idea of having an art department or an AD department or a transport department or a caterer or a craft service or is very attractive. I can't tell you what a gift that would be, you know? So, yes. I also have this caveat that because I, I, I've recently worked with a two person crew and loved it. Mm -hmm. And I've also worked with a 
50 person crew mm-hmm. and I see the differences because sure you give all you're like great a props department but then what happens if they're not and yeah. they can't and what happens if the you know what I mean yeah. like but I just people- I fantasize about someone saying here's 15 briefcases which one do you want I mean right. as opposed to <laughs> hauling my ass to Will you know you please text me and be like I just had to choose briefcases Show- and it drove me crazy <laughs> yeah I, I I live for that now I think that I would love nothing more than to delegate and just basically focus on the vision and directing and performance and getting it in the can with the restrictions of time and money, but not have to worry about raising the money, getting it to an audience. Yeah. Tracking down all the props, doing all the deals for the locations like that, you know, making everything safe. So you burn out, out, right? Like we can't not like folks like you and I were spinning so many plates that you just have to yeah. Stop every once in a while. Yeah, but I think that I won't stop and I don't feel burnt out. I mean, it's it's a it's a feature every two years. Right. So there is a sur- there is an ebb and flow to because I don't have them pile up, when it's finished, then I'm just focusing on marketing and distribution and right. exhibiting and festivals. <clears throat> so then it's a very clean back to writing and being on the beach again and looking out at the horizon and going, okay, here we mm. go again. Right. And it all starts. But I, I, I have to say I kind of love every part of it. And I just feel like now I'd love just to switch it up with being hired, yeah, acting in someone else's thing, being a part of someone else's vision, and being kind of a guest at the dinner party. And so know? are you putting yourself out there saying, like, I'd like to do TV directing? No, I think this is kind of the first time I've said oh, it. okay. So maybe Universe is going to be like, yeah. I'm going to forward this um, podcast to the Universe, yeah. and then we'll see what Could we you can do drum up. Yeah. I mean, I'm also at school right now because I'm right, doing my teach. master's. Oh, you're taking your master's? Yes. Because well, you teach... Are you yes. still teaching at York? Yes. So, oh my God. Yeah. So I'm doing my master's. I just finished my first year. I did all my classes in my first year. And now it's thesis film, paper, defending. What was the impetus behind pursuing your master's? Yeah. Well, I think I've been teaching for seven years and now it's basically you have to have your master's or bust. As a teacher? Yeah. Right. As a profit university. So if you're going to advance as a, as a professor, It's you a necessity. Yeah. yeah. You have to have the and master's. You, want, you like teaching. I do. I love teaching. And it was sort of, it was trippy to go back to school. I mean, it was high school all over yeah. again for a minute. You weren't writing the right thing. I just felt like. hanging out the cliques. Well, everyone's 20. Yeah. So suddenly I, and everyone was sort of, what are you doing here? You've made six features and you know, what are you doing here? And I had to just. And now they all like, you're so brave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There was a bit of that. that, You're so brave and kind of crazy. I mean, it makes, doesn't compute. Right. Because you've made your features. You're on the right trajectory. What are you doing here? Right. Yeah. Although I have to say it has, it has shaken my shit up. Like I think the, the thesis film I'm making in school, I would have never otherwise made. I would have never made it. And that's exciting to me, you know? But why, like, your project seems so, hmm, I keep calling, I keep reading all these things where they call you the DIY, DIY. Uh, queen, which I'm like, I, isn't everybody like a DIY yeah. for when you're exactly. doing independent films? Yeah. But, like, your project seems so self-created from your heart. Like, it's a, I imagine, like, you get this little tickle in your heart and it spurns into, like, this project where you start pulling your cast together and it's created. Yeah. So is that the same process you went through for your master's? I think for my master's, it was a curiosity around, okay, if I'm in school and I'm taking process cinema and I'm shooting stuff with a Bolex and I'm taking a screenwriting course and I'm taking, you know, a hybrid cinema course and I'm learning from all these people that I really respect um, because the faculty is outstanding, then what will I make in that laboratory? Like it felt like I was going into a lab, a filmmaking lab where you want to shake up what you usually do. I want to shake up process. I want to really look at how I do what I do, why and contextualize it in a framework of everything that's come before. And there's an analysis that happens at school that who has time for in the real world. You just don't give yourself the space to make mistakes. Whereas you're allowed to make mistakes in school. Yeah. No, I mean, I made, I think I did 
seven or eight workshops and made where I worked with different actors sort of workshopping ideas. And then I made 11 short films in that, you know, wow. September to March time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In, in things that, I mean, I made crazy films I would have otherwise never made. And I realized that I was like, why am I doing all this weird work? Like a junk culture piece with found footage and, and I went, I think I'm emptying myself out of everything I've ever wanted to try. Oh, right. So I could like, engage with this next feature entirely clean. Right. And it's the first time I've ever made a film that is absolutely 100% unscripted. I've never done anything unscripted. That's so cool. So Have you filmed was, it already? Yeah. It's, I'm in editing now. Wow. Yeah. Unscripted in Spanish. So when my hair, I didn't understand what my actors were saying ever. Yeah. Where, where did your brain come from? Like every single project, Porcupine Lake, Animal Project, they all seem so, um, risky. They mm-hmm. seem so like a, a leap into, into an abyss that you just trust. I don't but know. But don't you do that too? I feel like, I mean, the word risky, I like the word risky because, you know, it, it is a sort of just leap off without a net and there's it's a faith is involved in like just trusting that and I have issues with trust so maybe you know coming from a former communist country mm-hmm. I grew up with my father saying don't trust anybody right and like you know if, if boys came around they'd be like <laughs> right. don't trust him my don't trust her the same thing he was, he'd go I'd leave for a date and he'd be like yeah. have a good time in the balls <laughs> Naomi in the balls like as if every man was gonna attack me yeah. like I was always yeah. That's, that's the, yeah, yeah. That's that voice was all. I always grew up with. You can trust nobody, but you trust yourself. Yeah, I trust myself because my parents trusted me. Yeah, and I really trust. You know, my partner trusts me, and I trust my kids, and they trust me, and so there is this you know solid yeah. base. But in I have. I exercise trust through my films. That's Tell me more the about practice. That. Like you exercise it for yourself or for your team. I have to trust that people will follow, you know, show up when they say they will show up. I have to trust that when someone signs on, they're going to, you know, fully commit and be a part of this ride the way I craft it, which is an unconventional way sometimes because it's like, we're all going to be living in cabins in Port Severn for the summer and we're going to eat together and be together 24 hours a day. And, you know, it's, it's kind of that, but you instill that right away. Like, I feel like people that work with you spend five minutes talking to you and be like, I'm in. Whatever she's selling, I'm buying. No, I would say some people, there have been some people, many people, in fact, that meet with me and they like what I'm about and they say, I really want to do more, you know, art based, uh, out of the box stuff. And then they say, but I can't turn down this big paying job. Well, that's so there's always a battle with you know, sustainability and industry is, I, I experienced that rub between industry and art in terms of practice and life choices with every project I do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm always like, until I'm shooting and even when I'm shooting, I sort of think my DP is going to quit. I mean, another job is going to come and I have to be prepared to shoot this. I mean, people are going to walk because they're tested everyone's really tested yeah. because they're like, I want this kind of all, you know, immersive 24 seven thing. But then when you're in it, you're like, what? And no cell phones and everybody's doing, you know, 15 jobs and we're, we're all cooking the dinner and we're sitting around the table. We have to share words of the day or whatever I sort of dream up (laughs) that morning. And people just sort of go, ah, hmm. Yeah. I I thought immersive, but no, not this immersive. I need my cell phone. Yeah, I need my cell phone. Yeah. Have you had uh, have you had that where you No one's ever quit by the way? Well, no one's ever quit, which is um, amazing, right. but I always am prepared for that to happen. Right, but that goes back to your trust where yeah. you try to instill a trust in people not to quit. Yeah. Yeah, thank God, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, has that ever happened to you when you were working on your project and had an offer that was really hard to turn down? Yeah. I remember I was doing an equity showcase. 
Um, they still do those? No, it was like years ago, and I was in a play by John Guerra called Landscape of the Body with Damon Deliviera, who's a producer, works with Clement Virgo. We were acting in it together. And we were still in rehearsals. My agent at the time, Gail Abrams, um, I landed a, a lead role in a, in a film. And um, I was just like, I can't. I, I, it's funny because I have a box of cassettes because my, I tape, used to keep my answering machine cassettes. And I have the message of her saying, we got, they got to know today, like, are you taking on this role or not? And I went, I can't leave the play. And it was, it's a free play. It's yeah. an equity showcase, yeah. you know? I couldn't. I think I really, I would say I have a hard time with people that commit to things and then bail. Yeah. I just, I'm you not. You don't regret that choice. No, I don't yeah. regret it. I'm, I'm like, if you, if you commit to something, you commit to it. I really, I've always taken people at their word. You yeah. know, if they, contracts, whatever, people get out of contracts. Contracts are broken. But when people say, I'm in, and then they're not, it slays yeah. me. Yeah. It slays me. I, I get it. It feels like you create art films that happen to be commercial successes. Yeah. And where do I you mean, think that, that branches from? I... I mean, I think I'm interested in stories that are, you know, universal. I mean, Porcupine Lake, two 13-year-old girls that have a really uh, intimate friendship that crosses into a love over the course of the summer, and then, you know, they have to say goodbye, and that... I that I experienced that and it was the biggest thing one of the biggest oh, things I've ever felt yeah. and I just didn't see that reflected in some of the stories that I'd seen I'd seen a lot of you know not that many queer uh, lesbian stories of that age skewed older there's always like a boy kind of object desire there's a straight girl and a queer girl and there's like you know that whole dynamic that sort of cliche triangle and I just that wasn't my experience my experience was exploring with a girl that I I cared about that I felt safe with that you know I learned how to kiss with and that and then you know all these feelings came up for the first time and I just didn't know how to process them right and that to me felt so natural and healthy and part of being a girl and you know people everyone has their own experience but I just felt like I wanted that reflected for all the girls that are just kind of trying to be themselves in the world and, and, and are sort of, um, you know, trying on different things. Yeah. So I sort of, I felt in writing that, that there was an audience for that film. And right. then it's a matter of, you know, what will the platform be that helps that film get out in the world? And then what will be the money that kind of galvanizes around it that helps that film reach a wider audience? I mean, I was, I was just at Port Severn a couple of weeks ago and I thought, wow, if I had the money, it would be so cool to have like bought billboards on the highway yeah. and then had the DVD in, you know, little mom and pop shops all the way yeah. up to Sudbury. Right. I mean, those are the kinds of things that I would love to be doing. But of course, there's no resources yeah. for that. So I but something like Animal Project. Yeah. I mean, that that was a big success, but I like it. <laughs> it, it didn't have the makings of a commercial movie. It had the right. makings of a, a really cool, like indie thing right. that people just glommed onto right. because it was an interesting process. Yeah. But those, the filmmakers, I love Spike Jones and, yeah. you know, PT Anderson and Jane Campion mm. and Claire Denis and, you know, Sukin Lee's stuff. And I love, I love the more alternative filmmakers that are not just telling a story in a, in a conventional way, but are kind of taking the side roads. Those are the films that have shaped me mm -hmm. and influenced me. So that's what I gravitate towards. I mean, when I, when I see an obvious way to tell a story and I know that that might help it get the widest audience, I just, there's something in me that can't go that way. I right. just resist that way. And what is that? maybe Where, that'll be a challenge. So it's a rebellious thing, it's you know? Just, it's the flick of the wrist, it's right? It's a little like, bit. It's like, I can't give the people, I can't give the people what they want entirely. Like, I have to make it a little bit difficult because to, I'm difficult. So it wouldn't be an honest it wouldn't be an, I'm not the popular girl, you know, right. I'm not the person that everyone liked ever. I never have been right. never. So how could I possibly make a film like that? Yeah. I mean, I could do it from a craft. 
I could visit someone else's version of that and inject my own thing into it. But to actually cultivate that from my bones, it would be false. Right. It, uh, you've been called fearless a lot. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. You get that a lot? Yeah. I mean, I just feel like there's, like, is there anything that scares you? Is it's there like, anything? what, I mean. What would be something that you would be scared of trying? I not I don't think I mean I guess Eating I don't spiders I, like that no, kind of stuff. I mean <laughs> if I'm going to if I'm going to write it I'm prepared to do it. Right. For sure and I've always been like if I'm going to ask someone else to do it I will do it. Totally. I will strip and go into the water or I'll put rats on my face or I will eat shit or whatever it is. Right. I've never asked anyone to do that but if <laughs> I was if I had to like yeah. pee you do it first. I would yeah. do it first. Yeah. And I have an extra, like, I do feel a superpower when I'm making films. I'm way, I have climbed mountains and done things I would never do if I didn't have to. But for a photograph or for a film, I will do it. I get this yeah. extra courage, right? Yeah. This surge of courage that I wouldn't normally have. Um, and then some of that residue sticks. So I don't know, like, what scares me is. Like an office job in a cubicle. Like, is there anything, even like outside of your, our industry, is there anything that you're like, well, I haven't done that yet. And not to say you won't, but nothing. I just don't think, I mean, when you, people ask me that off, often, and I remember I went to, uh, I studied yoga for a month and, you know, I pulled, there were these angel cards and I pulled fear out. And then everyone was like, so what are you afraid of? And I had to go up in front of everybody and went like, I'm actually, like, I'm afraid of being afraid. Like, I just don't. I resist the notion of fear. Like, I know it's there. I just don't engage with it. Mm-hmm. I don't feed it. I don't entertain it. I don't I don't think about it. It's just, like, it's there, and I just don't give it my energy. Yeah, I get that. I mean, sometimes it's, like, the negative things of, like, what are your regrets? I'm like, I'm not going to... Right. What, why are we focusing on that? Right. You know, it's, right. it's going to give you, as you said, give it energy. It's not worth I it. I think I spin more towards, you know... I, I know, I have a sense of how insignificant it all is, you know, and how kind of it's meaningful, but kind of meaningless at the same time. And no one, no one cares if I make another film. I mean, the world's not going to stop spending. It doesn't really matter. Do you feel pressure to make more films? No, not at all. Not even from yourself? No. You'd be okay just to walk away from everything? Yeah. After each one, I think I can walk away. What else would you do? Oh, I would just like... I don't know. I mean, I really want to go to Nepal. I want to. I want to climb um, Himalayas. I want to maybe uh, write a graphic novel. I want to. I got so many movies I want to watch and read. There's so many places I still want to go. There's so many conversations I want to have. Like life, yeah. I would just be out there living mm-hmm. it. You know. Do you get burnt out? Um, I get. I get tired, but I can recharge myself. Yeah. I mean, I, I recharge. I sleep well. Yeah. I've always really slept well. Um, my partner makes amazing food. Yeah. If, if he didn't cook, I would not know how to feed myself because I'm a terrible, terrible cook. And, um, food charges me, sleep, travel, connecting with people, having like intimate conversations. Mm -hmm. It charges me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually try to wrap up with the things that you're jazzed about. Like if you've just read a book or seen a TV show or a series or anything that you're just like really pumped about. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I just read a book. I've read a few books. Ah, okay. The Judd Apatow book, Sick in the Head, which is his interviews with a whole bunch of comics. Oh. And I think it applies to anybody. Talk about fearlessness and vulnerability and yeah. putting yourself out there. And he really, you know, he had a high school uh, radio show and then he used that as a way to interview all the comics yeah. he loved to find out how they got to doing what they were doing. I just saw the, uh, the Gary Shandling documentary. Right. He right. interviewed him. He interviews yeah. everybody. Um, Sandra Bernhardt and Sarah Silverman wow. and everybody, everybody, Chris Rock and and um, Seinfeld. The interviews are so good, and I found it really inspiring and really insightful. So I just finished reading that. It's like 450 pages. I just snarfed it in a week. Yeah, great, great. And also on a sort of different uh, track, a friend of mine named Jacob Wren, um, who's a playwright, 
director. He wrote a book about, you know, his sort of life in theater called Authenticity is a Feeling. And it's fantastic for anyone out there that's, you know, just an artist and looking at different ways people have crafted their journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I love reading nonfiction, actually. Yeah, yeah I get that. Yeah. Um, those both sound really, really good. Yeah. And um, I, I always like to ask what advice you would give to your younger self. What advice would I give to my younger self? Um, I mean, I was a bit of a weird kid. Uh, I would say, and for me, like being a really sensitive, weird kid was a flaw. Um, and I would just say, be kind. I would just be kinder to myself and a little less self-critical. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just kind of let, I wish that things slid off my back a little bit more. Right. And now they, they do. But when I was younger, it was hard. Things stuck to me a lot and that took me a long time to process and but then that's like great stuff for the stuff we do with our storytelling as adults so I don't know how much I would change except that I really really suffered in that time where I felt everything so profoundly and I was awkward and I was as a result I think quite lonely because everyone thought I was a freak so I guess I would say embrace your freakdom yeah I didn't really have any friends. I had like one friend, but they always moved on to another friend. Right. Yeah. And I think because I was a child actor and I was around a lot of adults and I could never really do social things because I was always working and I was working from such a young age that I didn't really... It's that classic child actor thing where you don't really hang out with people your own age. I missed in high school a lot of my exams. I had tutors. I mean, I just had yeah, that you're life. you're already separate. I'm already separate. Yeah. And I so desperately wanted to belong. I mean, today at Share Her Journey, you know, at the end, um, one of the one of the speakers said, ultimately, like, it's about belonging. Oh my God, yeah. And I feel that really profoundly. Like, when I'm making films... I feel like I belong and I feel like all the people that are collaborating with me feel like they belong and everyone's sort of doing their, their best work and their best self. And that's the, that's the ultimate feeling. I know it's the community. Yeah. It's building these communities and feeling like you're part of something that we're creating together. It's not me going, Hey everybody, come on along. It's like creating something together and belonging. And when you're little and everyone says we're having a party, but you can't come, you just have this feeling of, I don't fit anywhere. It's the worst in the world. Now, do you have compensate? Cause I, that inclusivity is such a high level of importance for me that I think I overcompensate by including everybody all the time. Do you do that? Yeah. I definitely, when I feel these areas of, I don't want to, the last place I want to be is in a VIP section. I don't want to be, or I'm just, if someone, you know, it's been often times where I'm at the door and this person is not allowed in and I'm not allowed in. And I'm like, no, if we're not both coming in, then we're not coming in. Yeah. No, inclusivity and belonging and respectful interaction oh and a humanness is so important. It's just respect and everything. like we're yeah. in this together. Matt yeah. sometimes has Matt says, you know, we can have dinners alone sometimes because I'll be like, well, where many, well, somebody's coming over and this person and he's like, it's okay if we, it's just oh, you and I. That's great. But that's nice. It's important to me. But I think I also think, you know, it's important to be on your own as well sometimes, but I, yeah, I worry about people being left out. But I think that's, I think that's beautiful. I think, you know, sometimes this idea of, you know, when you're on an airplane, they say like, look after yourself first and yeah. put the mask on yourself yeah. before you, because then if you're looking after yourself, you can look after someone else. And I think that's true, important. true. If you're not healthy and strong in yourself. Yes you're in a, in a weaker position to help another. But I sort of feel like if everybody put the mask on the person beside them, then we would all be looked after. But just that impulse of not me first, but you first, if everybody did that, then we would all be okay. 
and well, that maybe go back goes back to trust. Mm-hmm. But I do recognize that if I'm not a hundred percent, I got mm-hmm. nothing to give. I know. So yeah. I do feel like I gotta make sure I get oxygen <laughs> so I can look after people. It's the bare necessities, Ingrid. That's all. I know, and I, I'm kind of. I know. I, now we're getting to like more perversity, but I sort of feel like sacrifice. Like, what am I prepared to sacrifice? Am I prepared to sacrifice my oxygen for another person? I would like to, I mean, I don't think I'm that evolved, but I think as I get older and older, I'd like to get to a place and it moves me actually to think about it. But I I really would like to be in a place where it would be someone else first, really and truly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm responsible to other people though. Mm -hmm. So that when you think... I'm thinking about somebody else. It's actually not thinking about like your family. Mm-hmm. They would be like, Hey, what about us? Mm-hmm. Which I think is also, you know, like I, my mother was exquisitely generous mm-hmm. in her life. And it sometimes was to the fault of us where it'd be like, why is that kid getting like, so I remember like being over and like, she'd helped this little kid. And I was like, isn't that my knapsack? And she was like, you have another knapsack. I'm like, but it's, I know so. True. So there is a level yeah, of like balance, yeah. as always, and everything. No, else. well, that's the thing. Of like in your own backyard, I mean, there's that classic thing of, you know, you're looking after someone else's dog, and or you know, you're giving money to a home, or you're right. going out of your way to like Meals on Wheels for people and whatever, and your kids, or you're picking them up a half an hour late for right. daycare. Right. It's kind of right. like. Okay, yeah, managing your time and priorities, whatever. But that's, you know, yeah, so that's kind of in an extreme. I do ultimately believe that to do this work, filmmaking, and to hold relationships in a healthy way, you being of, you know, in your mind and in your body and your spirit, the healthiest you can be. Mm-hmm. And that that's a daily practice. Yeah. You know, that's work is really, really important. And this business is, will just take and take yeah. and take and discard, you know, and throw to the curb. Yeah. So if we are not looking after ourselves, no one else is going to look after no. us. So there is like, I think balance. So take the oxygen is what yeah. you're saying. I think we'll balance maybe a little bit of oxygen for me, a little yeah. bit for them, a little bit for me, a little bit for them. just one puff, buddy, share. and then you can have it. Exactly. Um, Let's share the oxygen. I am so looking forward to your next project, and I really hope there's a time where I'm on your call sheet. I think uh, it would be such a treat to um, be part of your brain. Awesome. I think you're so interesting, and I love seeing what you create. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for spending isn't she just the best ingrid veninger i just so enjoyed my discussion with her it was almost impossible to stop talking we talked for another 45 minutes as we stood up from the interview and then another 45 minutes at the door and we could have talked a lot longer but uh you know you gotta sleep it was probably like midnight or something crazy like that So go and find out more about what Ingrid is doing at her website, punkfilms.ca. You'll see some clips of her short films and you can keep in touch with her career as it develops because, man, she does such interesting projects. While you're over in the social media world, probably it would be good to subscribe to Firecracker D-E-P-T. That's us. Go to our website, firecrackerdepartment.com. Subscribe to our newsletter because that's where you're going to find all the information about the different departments. And join us in Facebook land for our discussions and support of each other's projects. I'd love to have you part of the community. We have recently started an L.A. chapter of the Firecrack Department. So if you're in L.A., make sure you join us because we've got some amazing events coming up and we'd love to have you part of those as well. So go on out there, everybody. Go get inspired or be inspiring and then let me know what it is. Let me know what's sparking your inspiration. Hashtag Firecracker Ignite. I'd love to find out. Keep in touch. Firecrackerdepartment.com. And we'll see you next time. I'm Naomi Sneekas. Mm-hmm.